Today's scripture is from Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both men and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. The wicked will have only heaps of rubble when I cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place every remnant of Baal, the names of the pagan and idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord and who also swear by Melech, those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the princess and the, and the king's sons and all those clad in foreign clothes. On that day, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold, who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will go up from the fish gate, wailing from the new quarter and a loud crash from the hills. Wail, you who live in the market district. All your merchants will be wiped out. All who trade with silver will be ruined. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. Their wealth will be plundered, their houses demolished. They will build houses but not live in them. They will plant vineyards but not drink the wine. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. Thank you, Bill. Good job on the names. Well, good morning. Well, I just want to, uh, before I get started, uh, because my mother listens to my sermons, uh, say happy birthday, Mom. Je t'aime. Love you. So she'll hear that next week. But I sure do love my mom. As a little boy, I loved uh, watching Saturday morning cartoons and One of my favorite uh, cartoons that I watched was Gulliver's Travels, and there was all kinds of amazing adventure that would take place. There was one character, though, in the cartoon. His name was Glum, and Glum always had a way of bringing down the situation in every adventure that there was. And so Gulliver and his troops would go and enter into their great adventure, and Glum would always say this, We're all doomed. We'll never make it. We're all going to die. It's never going to happen. Every word from his mouth fit his name appropriately. Glum. And as we get into Zephaniah this morning, you kind of feel like Zephaniah's glum. We're all going to be swept away and die. We enter this morning into the book of Zephaniah, one of the minor prophets. And we've been studying the, the minor prophets, and we start to see themes that are developed over the weeks that we've been studying. We see that God, from the get-go, and in all of his scripture, wants relationship with us. We see that God is a holy God. We see that God is a just God, and that judgment will come upon sin. We see that God desires for us to repent and turn back to himself. And we see the theme of God's grace is poured out upon the repentant sinner. And we're going to see similar themes in Zephaniah. Zephaniah came before Habakkuk about 30 years prior. 
It says Zephaniah was reigning, was uh, prophesying during the time of Josiah. Josiah was a very good king. And Josiah led his people following God. Before Josiah, there was Manasseh, who was one of the most evil kings ever, 55 years of reign. And Manasseh had a son named Ammon, another bad, bad king. Zephaniah's name means Yahweh is hidden. And you wonder if that relates to the fact during the reign of these evil kings, where was God in the middle of all of that? But now it was about to break out during the time of Josiah. Josiah was one of these wonderful young men who responded to God and actually started a revival in Judah. There's been many revivals over the centuries in America. Josiah would have been right in the middle of that. He was king at eight years old. At 16, the scriptures remind us that he sought after the Lord. Oh, we long for our teenagers, right? To seek after the Lord. At 16, he sought after the Lord. And at 20 years of age, he started a revival in Judah, drawing people back to God. And Zephaniah was a key part of that because he responded to the word of the Lord. God's justice and his judgment was going to come even under Josiah, the good king. The scriptures tell us that Zephaniah was related to royalty. He had Hezekiah in his line. Hezekiah was another good king. He's most famous for his tunnel in Israel that brought water in. He was a good king who led his people. And someday, if you go to Israel with me, we'll walk through that tunnel so that his people were provided. Water, living water, always needed in Israel. Even though he was of royalty, here's what's wonderful about Zephaniah. He came in before his people and before Josiah and even though he had this line, he spoke a hard word of God's truth. He didn't let anything stand in his way. His relationships with these people, the fact that he had royal lineage, he listened to God and responded to what God had to say. As you look at the book of Zephaniah, there's a main theme. Are you ready? Here it is. Write it down. We're all going to die. Good morning. Have a good day. It seems like that, especially when we just do Zephaniah 1. But the main theme is, is so much bigger. It really is big picture of all of Zephaniah. It's a message of saving grace. God's abundant power to save his people. You know what? We, we today are so familiar and we love John 3.16. You know, as a football season begins, we get John 3.16 held up in the end zones. For God so loved the world. But we should be holding up Zephaniah 3.17. That should be the new verse in the end zones. And here's what it says. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will, and this is what I love about the Lord, He will take great delight in you. Sometimes we forget that, that God takes great delight in us as His children, as we follow Him. In His love, He will no longer rebuke you, but He will rejoice, look at this, He will rejoice over you with singing. That's our God. Zephaniah is called to speak to a people about this God who loves them, but he must, he must, he's compelled by the power of God to speak to the hearts of the Israelites so that they would repent. Just like the Holy Spirit speaking to us today. Repent. Draw near to God. Stop running away in your sin. 
Stop kicking against God. And like Paul Revere, Zephaniah calls out warning. Like the street preachers that we see in all of the big cities standing on the corner, and we dismiss them as crazy people, but they speak truth when they say, the day of the Lord is near. Repent and draw near to God. The day of the Lord is coming. It's used over and over in this little book to remind us that God will have his judgment, that God will return. Historically, Judah is going to be wiped out by Babylon in 606 B.C. Prophetically, verses 14 on in chapter 1, I believe, speak to the end times when Christ is coming back. The day of the Lord is near. And so now what? How do we live in light of that truth? Let's pray. Father, we seek you this morning. And Father, forgive us for taking so lightly the fact that that you will return. Forgive us for making light of your dealing with sin. And Father, as a body of Christ, we want to come to you this morning repentant. Forgive us for our sin, Father. And draw us near to you, we pray. We want to be your children, obedient, living in your love. And we thank you, Father, that you sing over us. In your precious name, amen. As we enter into Zephaniah, again, Zephaniah is not speaking these hard words to drive Judah to despair or to drive us to despair, but to drive us towards the Lord. He's reminding them, he's warning them that God's a holy God and he's going to deal with sin. This is a hard chapter to read, Zephaniah 1. I mean, it's all just destruction and death and you're going to be wiped out. It isn't some little calling like chicken little, the sky is falling. It's to be taken seriously. Look at verses 2 and 3. I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will remove man and beast, birds in the sky, fish of the sea. The other words that are used there is I'll sweep away everything. Sweep away everything. On my flight home from the Ukraine, it was about an 11-hour flight, and... uh, I had, the, uh, I had the joy of sitting in the middle section, in the middle of the middle section, with two guys on the end who thought this was a great time just to sleep the whole trip. And so if you ever have to get up to do anything, uh, it's almost nearly impossible, but you're climbing over people, and, and I would intentionally give them the elbow for sleeping the whole time, because we've got to get up. So since you're kind of stuck there in the middle section... I watched six movies during that whole time. But one of the movies I watched, which was a powerful movie, and if you haven't seen it, uh, you may want to take a look at it. I don't honestly know the rating of it, so you can check that out. But it was the movie called Impossible. And it was about this family that went to Thailand in Christmas of 2004. And they went to celebrate in this beautiful resort And on the day after Christmas, they're out in the pool and they're enjoying the sunshine and they're playing with their toys. And all of a sudden, everything gets calm. And then all of a sudden, the biggest wave ever comes sweeping through Thailand in that little village. And it just sweeps away everything. And just this powerful wave just moves everything and destroys everything in its path as it pours over these people and these villages. That's the image I had of God and the powerful judgment upon sin. He says, I'm wiping it all out. 
I'm a holy God, and I will destroy sin. And those who choose to live in sin separate from me, they will be separate from me and destroyed. That's a hard truth. But don't miss the big picture. That in righteous judgment, there's a holy God who longs for relationship with you. And he is quick and he is mighty to save as you surrender your life to him. And so he's calling out to the people, repent, turn back. This is what God is going to do. He deals with our sin. It's not to be taken lightly. We live in a culture that takes sin lightly, plain and simple. You know it's true, and you know it's true of yourself, because I know it's true for me. And God wants to deal with our hearts on that. God must have righteous judgment, but His love always provides a way of salvation. You see, we, we think of Thailand, 2004, and it grieves us, but it's kind of distant, isn't it? I mean, Thailand's way over there. And that's the way Judah felt as, as Zephaniah started this. Oh, I'm going to sweep away everything. But then he gets right to the heart of the people. Listen, Judah. Listen, Boise, Idaho. Listen, Cole Community Church. Listen, Rod Ritchie. I'm speaking to you. And he says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah. Against his people. He's going to stretch out his hand. Why would God do that? What is going on with Judah, with his people, that he is going to put out his judgment, his righteous, holy judgment on them? What is it about us that God views as sinful and against his ways? Zephaniah points some things out. He's going to deal with idolatry. He's going to wipe it out. You see, what was happening is the people in Judah, the Israelites, they were going over to Delsa's ice cream and they're saying, give me a double scoop. I want mint chocolate chip and I want butter pecan and, and I want them to just melt together and I want to just enjoy both of them, all melted together. Give me a double scoop. One flavor is not good enough for me. And they were double scooping. They were saying, we want to go and we want to worship God, but we also want to worship Molech and enter into pagan, evil, evil worship. Molech's one of the most grotesque gods. They, they used to have idols to Molech with his, with his hands out like this. And they would put coals of fire underneath. And then for sacrifice unto Molech, they would take an infant child onto those hands. We want to worship Yahweh, the God who loves us and desires relationship with us. And we want to worship Molech because we fear and we live running away in fear of this evil God. Don't we do the same? Don't we like to get a double scoop? Because we love both. I want to go ahead and sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend on Saturday night, and then I want to wake up in the morning, and I want us to come to church together, and let's praise God together for this beautiful relationship that we have. I want to go ahead and buy a newer car and I want to get another nice brand new golf club and I know that I'm going to come to church on Sunday morning and I'm going to say, oh, you know what? Praise God for all of my blessings. And in our minds, we say with our money, you know what? Hey, the poor, they're just lazy. Those who are needy, someone else can take care of them but I thank you, God, for all of my blessings. And we say our blessings are our stuff. 
don't we? I do. I'm pretty sure you do too. Thank you for our stuff, our blessings. And yet we don't even consider those who are starving to death. Hear me, I'm not saying it's bad to buy a car or a golf club. All right, I know you golfers are getting really upset with me. But we want to worship both. I want to worship my money. I want to worship sex. Whatever area, we all struggle with idolatry and we want a double scoop. And we want it to all blend together and it tastes so good. I can have both. And Zephaniah calls out into the middle of that and he says, you cannot have both. You cannot live one foot in truth and one in falsehood. Joshua cries out very clearly, choose this day. And I really mean this for us today, Sunday. Choose this day whom you will serve. Repent. Come into the arms of a loving God who wants to forgive you and give you life. God will deal with idolatry. We want both. God will judge that severely. The scriptures go on to say, and they turn their backs from following the Lord. To heck with you, God. I'm going to walk my own direction. It's like a spouse walking out of the house. I don't want anything more to do with this relationship. I'm out. And don't we say that to God. This relationship we have, God, I'm walking out. And I turn my back to you. And like the spouse left behind, brokenhearted, grieving, They turn their back from following the Lord. And they neither seek, look, nor inquire of Him. Your truth, your way of life, I don't follow it anymore. You're now going to find me, God, in the self-help section at Barnes & Noble. And that's where I'll find my way for life. So let me just dwell there. Because your truth hasn't worked for me. So I turn my back on you, and I do not inquire of you anymore. And God says he will deal with that. Draw near to me. Draw near. The day of the Lord is near. Look at verse 7. So be silent before the Lord God. It, you have the feel when you read that that you're, you're standing right in front of the great Oz like the lion trembling. Be silent before God. But I think the call from Zephaniah as he speaks the words of the Lord is be silent. Why? So that you can hear what God's really saying here. Be silent so that you can hear God speaking to your heart. God is wanting us to realize that the day of the Lord is near. God is wanting us to realize that he's a holy, just judge. God is wanting us to hear how much he loves us and has grace upon us and forgiveness and calling us to repentance. So stop getting caught up in all of the busyness Stop getting caught up in speaking all the time and trying to justify everything that you're doing. Be silent before God. This isn't make-believe, people. We will stand before God one day and He will judge us. We are either His children or we are not. And it grieves His heart when we kick against him, when we sin against him, just like when our children do that to us. 
It's a strong call, and I know this isn't a comfortable passage, but it's meant not to be a comfortable passage. It's meant to dive right into our soul. Be silent so that we can hear his words. Love is calling back to us. And I, I pray for us that, that we would be like the psalmist in Psalm 44, that would be able to say this, Our heart has not turned back from you, God, and neither have our steps declined from your way. As a follower of God, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a child of His, we need to humble ourselves before God and listen to try to break through all of the noise, all of the static. The front of the bulletin I love, all the static in the way of God's word. A buddy of mine took me to see the screw tape letters uh, a couple weeks ago. And it's this conversation between these demons and hell and how they're going to work against their clients, these Christians, to move them away from God. They call God the enemy. And the whole conversation between Wormwood and screw tape is about Let's move these people. Let's keep them busy. Let's get them, let's get them in church where they get real comfortable and they think they're doing just fine. Let's get them where they get to a place where they're, they're humble. But now they start to take pride in their humility. And it's all these workings of the enemy against us. And one of the big ways was noise. Let's fill them with busyness and noise. When we're filled with that, we cannot listen to God. Listen, the day of the Lord is near. God's judgment is coming. It's not make-believe, and nobody is immune from it. Verse 8, not all the high officials. They'll be wiped out. Verse 9, false gods and worshiping idols, seeking the stars. Verse 10 and 11. In the marketplace, those who are just seeking money for money's sake, to have wealth, to prosper, taking advantage of others. All of your your work and your trade is just so you can have. He's going to deal with that. He says, I will come in my judgment against these things. Nobody is immune from this. Those of you who trade and weigh silver. And then verse 12 was probably the most convicting for me. Those who are complacent. Those who are indifferent. It's like the dregs of wine. They are settled on their lees. The idea of that is is that sediment settles during that time of, of fermentation in, in wine. And it gives it gives color and it gives body to the wine, but what happens is it starts to thicken. And if it's not poured off, if the sediment isn't poured out, then it starts to just build up and it adds this this awful sour taste to the wine. It becomes thick, syrupy. And he's saying, you're like that. You're becoming thick and syrupy. It's, it's like a proverb that speaks that we are settled. We are souring. We settle on one's lees. We are slothful. Complacent muddy mind and we're smug in the middle of it all. That's a hard one to think about. Am I becoming settled at the bottom? Wine was always to be a symbol of joy in the scriptures. And we're becoming the sour taste, muddy, thick. And in that place, 
actually content. And God says, that's not who I've called you to be. That is not life in God. That's death. And a call back into life. He says, you know what? You can try to hide. You can go into the different places. And we try that. We try to hide from God about what's going on in our hearts. And we become like little children under the blanket. And we think, oh, mom and dad won't find me here under the blanket. And of course we see you under the blanket. I will come like a light I will come into the middle and everything is going to be exposed, the scriptures say in Zephaniah. It's like the Babylonians. You, you don't think they came into Israel and you don't think they, they searched every nook and cranny as they wiped out the people? God will wipe out sin. And he will wipe out those who choose to live against God and have no relationship with him and live in sin. He's a holy, just God. And you go, that's not fair, God. That's not loving. We all want a God who will just take us into his arms. Let us eat our double scoop of ice cream. Do whatever we want. And just say, oh, it's okay. Is that really the kind of God you want to serve? a God who's not all-loving, a God who doesn't save you. You see, a, a God who's just going to go ahead and give you a big hug, how's he going to deal with sin? He needs to deal with sin. And God did through his son Jesus. We serve a powerful God, a mighty God, a holy God. And it's a reminder of that this morning. We think we can hide. It even gets worse. We think that God actually doesn't even care what's going on. We think, we think God as a, as a great clockmaker. He just winds up the world and he created you and he winds it up and then he just lets it go and he pays no attention until tick, tick, Everything's done. God is very involved. We think he has no involvement. We don't think there's either going to be good or bad. There's not going to be, it's kind of the middle. He doesn't really care. He's not paying attention. Edward Gibbon, in his book, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, he described the attitude towards religion right at the end of the, the Roman Empire's rule. Listen to this. See if it sounds familiar. The people of the Roman Empire regarded all religions as equally true. The philosophers regarded all religions as equally false. And the politicians regarded all religions as equally useful. It's all good. Everything's going to work out. God doesn't care about what's going on. We become complacent and we think God will neither go good or bad. And we become agnostic. We become atheistic. There is no God. He's not going to deal with this. Even God can sink this ship of ours. So said the makers of the Titanic. But holy God reminds us there will be a righteous judgment. The day of the Lord is coming like an iceberg ripping through the core of our ship. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. Verse 14 and on, look at this. This is what I believe is the end times. 
Near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen to the day of the Lord, in it the warrior cries out bitterly. Verse 16, the day of the trumpet and the battle cry against the fortified cities at the high corners of the towers. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them. On the day of the Lord's wrath, they will not be delivered. And all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth. Well, again, this is pretty awful. And you know, to listen to this stuff on a Sunday morning when you're thinking, I just wanted to enjoy the day. Well, you can enjoy the day as you draw near to God in repentance and receive His love and His forgiveness and His grace. I think as I studied this chapter this week, again, these aren't fun ones for the preacher, you know what I mean? But it was sobering for me. It was sobering for me to think, you know what, sometimes I just get so busy about my day, and I really don't live in light of the fact that the day of the Lord is near. And I think as we, as we study this passage, which is the word of the Lord, I think it should cause us to really look at our souls, at our hearts. I think it moves us, as hard as it is, to, to look at these verses. I think it should move us to say, God, forgive us. God, forgive me because I am double scooping all over the place. Forgive me for turning my back on you. Forgive me for walking away. The day of the Lord is near. And since it is, I think it should compel us to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we really believe that the day of the Lord is near, that we need to offer and tell people of a way of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because people are hungering, and because the fact is people are dying in their sin all over this world. And we need to share of God's love. Just like what happened in the Ukraine. All week long, sharing with these teenage kids about how God loved them, about how God needed to deal with their sin about how God had a way of life for them that they could be saved. And so on one night, on the final night, they say, you need to choose this day whom you will serve. And they stood up one by one. Eighty-plus kids. They call it say-so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so they would say, I've been redeemed. I say so. The day of the Lord is near. We should share the good news. And I think, in light of all of this, it should move us from our sofas. And I know it's football time. But it really should move us from our sofas into a life of servitude for God, into a life of living out for Him, a life that is going to now be used of Him, that we we aren't just in the marketplace making money to make money, but going, God, what do you want for this money? What do you want for my life? That I wake up in the morning and say, God, I am no longer my own. I'm bought with a price. I want to live for you today. The day of the Lord is near. I want my life to have value and meaning. It should compel us to be using our lives for His kingdom 
and his kingdom work. That our lives would be a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. That we would take all that we have and all that we are and offer it to him with our lives so that his kingdom would be magnified, so that he would be glorified. Because the day of the Lord is near. Amen? I'm going to have my dear sister Shirley come up here. This is a dear saint in our body. And she is a woman who is full of sin but forgiven by God. (laughs) But she has chosen to live her life in the power of the Holy Spirit. She has chosen to live her life in the truth of the fact that the day of the Lord is near and to invest her life in God's kingdom work. And I want her to share with you what God's doing with her. Come on up, Shirley. Good morning, dear folks. So far, so good. The mic is on. (laughs) Um, I'm part of the Sunday School Ministry, and I want to say good morning to all those wonderful children out there who were forced to stay in here this morning. (laughs) So I'm a Sunday School teacher, and I'm also a coordinator of the children becoming aware of long-term workers all around the world, and we even have some here in Boise. And each one of our Sunday school classes has a long-term worker. And in my class, fourth and fifth grade, our long-term worker is Glenn Eitmiller, and he works in Southeast Asia. Years ago, Cole sent Glenn and his family to Southeast Asia, and quickly they transitioned into seeing a need for clean water. So Glenn built clean water tanks, one tank at a time, for poor Hindu villages. These tanks provided the significant link that they needed for clean water to prevent waterborne diseases. This is all over the world that this happens. And until Glenn started working in these Hindu villages, there was not even one glimmer of Christ. However, this is where God, our great awesome God, comes in. The villagers begin experiencing God just by Glenn being there, sharing God's love and the light of Christ. Now, that love has broken through the darkness of this dark culture, of this dark religion, one water tank at a time as Glenn builds them. So fast forward, this is where you all come in. Every year we have a Sunday school project for the last five years for the children of the fourth and fifth grade. And this year it just got out of control. It started, <laughs> it started with just the children and it ended up involved, involving the whole church here. And so that's why I'm here. Um, and because of this project, with you all involved, Glenn offered to make a video, and we'll see that in a minute, of your connection and your contribution to him. But it really all started with the children, and this is the next generation, I believe, that's just going to change the world. These kids are just incredible. So over the last five years, our Sunday school class has had the routine project to fund one clean water tank. And in the past, the cost was $250. This year, it jumped to $650. So when we started this new project in October, I said to the children, do you think we can do it? And they said, yeah, yeah, we can do it. And um, they earned their money by chores and um, allowances, neighbors, families, And we've had a lot of grandparents, and you know who you are, that have helped build these water tanks. So when I introduced this increased price to the children, they said, I think we can do it. But one little girl in the class raised her hand. I hope she's here today. And she says, I think we can build two. Well, that stunned me because I wasn't even sure if we could build one. However, the project moved very slowly, and it seemed like after three months, the kids had lost interest. 
So in December, a friend here at Cole uh, offered to build birdhouses for the children to sell. Well, that was like the spark that God used to get the fire going because these little kids sold 62 birdhouses in about four weeks and earned enough money for one water tank. And it was just incredible. And then about two weeks later, the elders allowed us to open up to a church-wide sale. And it was like birdhouse mania on that day. And there were hundreds and hundreds of birdhouses that were made, plus yard art. And it was just an incredible event. And so what began as a class project turned into all of you participating. If you weren't here on that day, you really missed something big. But it seemed like at that point, that's when the Lord took over. It just took on a life of its own after that. Because when the birdhouse sale was over on the third, I said, that's it, I'm done. I'm tired of birdhouses. But money kept coming in. For the next three weeks, money kept pouring in. And it wasn't nickels and dimes. It was hundreds of dollars. So the final total, we started praying for one. The final total was $7,150, enough for 11 water tanks. I'm going to do a rod. We prayed for one. A child challenged us to two. And God showed up. It's just like a great big God. He gave us 11. So we sent an email to our missionaries. And when the wife opened up the email and saw the final total, she screamed for joy. It was just amazing. So when I received this video recently from Glenn, I went to Rod and said, Rod, is there any way that we could show this to the body of Christ? Because they were all part. And so he watched the video. Then this is really cool. He picked up his Bible, and then he started looking for words that would connect the video with Scripture today. And it was just amazing just listening, listening to you. And he said words like rebellion, complacency. And when I heard those words, the power of God's words, uh, it just reinforced to me why we Sunday school teachers do what we do. We teach these kids about the one true living God and an understanding of who Jesus Christ is in their lives. We just thank God that he has entrusted so many children to us as a body to teach. So children, wherever you are, I am so grateful to you for working so hard and making this project work. We couldn't have done it without you. So thank you. You really are inspiring to us. And when the project was over, we gave each one of you children a little birdhouse like this. And we said, remember, you were part of a miracle. Remember, God loves you. And remember, God answers prayers. So also, thank you to Cole Community for connecting us to the children, and then connecting us to Glenn Eitmiller. And then the video, the video that you're going to see, connects us all together. It's just been the most unifying thing I've seen here at Cole. And in the video, Glenn says, I am their hands, meaning I am the hands of the children. I am the hands of Cole Community Church to bless you, the people in this land, this dark land, with the light of Christ. So Glenn is so grateful to you all for your participation in helping him do what he loves to do the best, showing the light of Christ to these people, one water tank of living water at a time. And there's a scripture verse that I want to say, especially to you, to thank you. It's 1 Timothy 1, 2. It's my thanks to you, and it says, May grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you.
Hey guys, I'm here in the village in Bali and they're just finishing up the first of the 11 water tanks that you guys helped to fund and I want to give you some video here to see what you're involved in and the lives that you're impacting. <laughs> These are the filters that we're providing with uh, each rain tank that you guys are helping fund. So each family gets a rain tank, they get one of these water filters. Uh, the rainwater goes in the top here and it filters through to the bottom. And then they've got clean, bacteria free drinking water to enjoy. <laughs> The thing that's uh, beautiful about that to me is a couple things. Shirley and, and these children and quite frankly this church family as your lives have been transformed by Jesus Christ, you're living out the life of Christ, so opposite of what this passage spoke to, of complacency, of, of living a life that all your money is just for you, uh, of living with greed, and, and again, just with not caring about what God's doing in the world. And they've chosen, as they've responded to God, to, to bring living water, and you have as well, in using your lives. But here's the thing, and here's the cry of Zephaniah. It's brought into a culture that has so many gods over there, that lives in such a dark place. And living water is brought out with that same cry. Repent, there's God's holiness. We need to deal with that in Indonesia. And so, because of lives that are used of God and living out the life of Christ, now... They bring this message of living water. Hey, there is a God who is mighty to save. All these other gods, nothing. But there's a God who loves you and wants to forgive your sin and is mighty to save. Amen? Let's respond. <laughs> 